Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Last Sunday, we finished up and we wrapped up 16 messages, 16 weeks, 16 paragraphs through the book of James. We are going to go now back in time to the Old Testament to a small book called Haggai. Haggai. Now the hardest thing about Haggai is finding it in your Bible. Fortunately, you have an index or if you're on a digital copy, you can just kind of touch it and it'll just show up. If you go to the New Testament or if you end up in the New Testament, just go back a couple of books. Go to the left a couple of books and you'll run into this very small book. It's only 38 verses, two chapters, but it is jam-packed with God's kingdom purposes and kingdom priorities. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one underneath a chair rack real close by. You can grab that copy. Page 743 will get you right to Haggai. I want to encourage you, church family, as I do every single week, keep your Bibles open. We are not here to hear from me. This is not my version of a TED Talk. I'm not going to give you my best advice that I've thought of this past week. My desire and my intention and my goal today is to take what God has written and to plate it for you, to present it in a way that is meaningful and helpful and applicable. So we want to hear from God and from His Word this morning. We are actually going to read this first message. We've only got four messages in this, in this small book. The first message will be the entire first chapter, and then the, the second, third, and fourth will be the second chapter. We're going to read the first chapter in just a moment, but before we do, just because of the nature of jumping right in here to the middle of the Old Testament and what God's doing, I want to give some background context. So before we read chapter one, let me share with you a little bit of what's going on in the history of the nation of Israel. Some 800 years before the book that we are about to read, a man by the name of Moses went up on a mountain and received a covenant promise with God. God made a covenant through Moses to the people of Israel that he would be their God. And he laid out a a list of ways that they could uh, be obedient to that covenant. And as they were obedient to that covenant, God promised blessing. And if they would deviate or rebel or wander from that covenant, God said in his mercy and in his love, he would discipline them to bring them back to that covenant. There would be consequences if they wandered from it. Several years after Moses, God establishes his kingdom through a man by the name of David. David was the man after God's own heart, the second king of the people of Israel, After David, God would raise up a son to David by the name of Solomon. And God would use Solomon to build a temple, a dwelling place, a a permanent physical structure for the presence of God to dwell and for the people of God through the priests to be able to have a relationship mediated with them. And so Solomon builds this wonderful, beautiful, ornate temple for God's presence to dwell. Well, after Solomon... The kingdom of God is divided, and the kingdom of God now is led by two of Solomon's sons. One son takes the northern kingdom of Israel, and the other son takes the southern kingdom of Judah, which also housed the temple in Jerusalem. Well, throughout history, in Israel's history, God would 
continually be calling his people back to the covenant, back to what he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he would use his prophets and their prophetic voice to call them back to that covenant relationship. And these prophets would warn that if they were not obedient to the covenant, just as God said, that there would be judgment and there would be punishment and that God would use the surrounding nations, the pagan nations, to be God's judgment on the people of Israel if they did not come back to that covenant relationship. And sure enough, that warning came true first in 721 B.C. when the nation of Assyria invaded the northern kingdom and overtook that kingdom. Assyria ruled there for roughly 130 years, and then another kingdom comes in by the name of Babylon. Babylon overtakes the northern kingdom, the, the Assyrian empire, and then goes down into the southern kingdom and takes over Judah and Jerusalem and destroys that beautiful temple that Solomon had built, leaving it as just a pile of rubble. Babylon then takes all of the people of God and hauls them off into exile some 900 miles away. That would be like some foreign government power coming into Tempe here, taking us all exile and, and hauling us off to Wichita, Kansas. 900 miles away. So the temple of God is there in Jerusalem lying in ruins. The people of God have been taken away again into exile because they've wandered from God's covenant. But then a third kingdom comes along. It's almost like king of the hill here. First you have Assyria, then you have Babylon, then you have Persia. And the Persian empire comes in and overtakes the Babylonian empire after 50 years of that exile. But they were a lot more lenient and tolerant towards other religious groups. And so they actually say to the people of God, if you want, you can go back 900 miles to your homeland. You can go back to Jerusalem and continue worshiping your God. And a small remnant, some 50,000 people, take them up on that offer. A good majority of them stay. And you can read about those people in the book of Esther. But some 50,000 people go back to that southern kingdom, go back to Jerusalem, and they go back to that city that lies in ruin, and they begin to rebuild. And as you read, several books in our Old Testament tell the story of that rebuilding. And there were three different areas that they were rebuilding. This, the book of Nehemiah talks about the rebuilding of the walls and the rebuilding of the city itself. The book of Ezra talks about the rebuilding of the people. And then the book of Haggai... And Zechariah talk about the rebuilding of the temple. That temple that Solomon had built, that lion ruined because of the Babylonian Empire that destroyed it several years before. And so the people come back and they begin to rebuild the foundation. As a matter of fact, you can read in Ezra 1 through 6 about that first remnant that comes back immediately after they were told they could. And they begin to rebuild the foundation. But as with any good work of God, as soon as you start to move forward, there's opposition. And another surrounding nation of Samaria sees what they're doing and writes letters to the king of Persia and says, do you see what they're doing? They're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding their kingdom, and, and they're going to eventually overpower us and they're going to overpower you. And if you don't take them out, we're going to take them out. The Israelites hear about this and they become fearful and afraid and they stop the work again. And 15 years pass. And that brings us right to the doorstep of the book that we're about to study for the next four weeks. And so the book of Haggai is all about prioritizing first what God prioritizes most. 
That is the rebuilding of his temple, which represented his very presence with the people of God. And so it is a call to prioritize the kingdom. It is a call to let first things be first in our lives. And I believe there are many applications from this small and potent book that I believe will help us to once again calibrate not just our hearts, but also calibrate our hands to be about the work of God as God desires for us to prioritize in our lives. So the title of this first message is simply Kingdom First. Kingdom First. So now I want to draw your attention to this first chapter. Follow along with me as I read this story. I've kind of set up the story and brought us right to this moment. Fifteen years after they've come back from exile, they've ceased from the work because of the persecution from Samaria. They've gone back to building their homes and prioritizing their lives. And the prophet Haggai is going to bring again the word of the Lord to them. Chapter 1, verse 1. Follow along with me if you would. In the second year of Darius, the king, that would have been a king of Persia, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. To Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is the word of God through the prophet, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. He's speaking of the temple there. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold it came to little. And when you brought it home, I, God says, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. May God now apply his word as we study it this morning. So what's going on here? What's the big idea? What's the through line of this particular text? Let me give you the big idea. If you're keeping notes, you can write this down. Here it is. God's kingdom work must be my first priority. God's kingdom work must be my first 
priority. Let's talk about priorities this morning, can we? We all prioritize. It's not a matter of whether or not you prioritize. It's a matter of what you prioritize. So let me ask you, when it comes to the matter of productivity in your life, do you prioritize mornings or do you prioritize evenings? How many of you are morning people? Let me see where my morning people are. Okay, rise and shine. Here we are. Where are my evening people? All right, there you are, okay. And it's not that one is right and the other is wrong. It's just that you got to know yourself, right? Now, if you're sitting here thinking that you are a morning person and your morning starts around 10.30 a.m., listen, friend, that is not prioritizing the morning, okay? Some of us are getting into our second and third cup of coffee by 10.30 a.m. How about vacation? What do you prioritize on vacation? Do you prioritize rest or do you prioritize play? Is your idea of a good vacation just kind of sitting on the beach, reading a book, just kind of letting the tide come in and go out, and just reading and just kind of letting, letting time roll by? Or is your idea of a good vacation like you've got your schedule, and you're going to get to every little like local shop, and you're going to get to the souvenir place, and you're going to go do that hike, and you're going to find that waterfall, and you're just going to play, and you're going to do it all? What do you prioritize? How about travel? Do you prioritize the journey, or do you prioritize the destination? I am a destination kind of a person. Listen, we're going to leave sooner than we planned. We're going to get there sooner than we thought. We're going to make fewer stops than we thought. Like, we're just going to get there. When it comes to your clothing, do you prioritize fashion or do you prioritize function? Are you all about the look or are you all about, like, how many pockets it has and what, what you can fit in it? My wife recently got one of those crossbodies. You know what I'm talking about? I saw it and I said, what are you doing wearing a fanny pack? Like, that's what we called it when I was a kid. It went around the waist and we called it a fanny pack. She's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a, it's a crossbody. You know what a crossbody is? It's an attempt to merge fashion and function. Because it, like, looks good, but you can also put your phone in there and your stuff in there and your money in there. So what do you, what do you prioritize when it comes to your clothing? With your decisions, what do you prioritize? Facts or feeling? With your career, do you prioritize education or experience? With your money, do you prioritize Saving or do you prioritize spending? We all prioritize. So it's not a matter of whether or not we prioritize, but what do we prioritize? Let me ask you one more. When it comes to your life, what do you prioritize? Your kingdom or God's? Your plans or God's? See, this book is all about prioritizing first what God prioritizes most, and that's his kingdom. The kingdom of God, let me give you kind of a, an abbreviated definition of that. The kingdom of God is where God is working. Where God is working. God is working in this world today to bring people to himself, and then those who have come to himself by faith in the finished work of his son are now called to enter into that kingdom work. So the kingdom of God is where God is at work. Do you prioritize that in your life? Life happens, doesn't it? You got your job. You got your family. They got their sports. You got your summer vacation. You got your plans. You got the bills that you got to pay. You've got all these things. You got all your stuff. Life just sort of piles up on every one of us. And if we're not careful, we can begin to prioritize things that are good, but we neglect prioritizing those things that are best. And so let this book and let this first chapter call every one of us back to prioritizing God's kingdom and God's work first in our lives. God's kingdom work must be my 
first priority. So the question I want to ask this morning is, how do I do this? How do I prioritize God's kingdom first? There are four decisions that that I believe God is calling us to right from chapter 1 that will help us and cause us to prioritize His kingdom first. So the outline is going to look like this. I prioritize God's kingdom first when, number one, I stop building my castle. I prioritize God's kingdom first when I stop building my castle. I want you to see it in verse 2 of our text. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, God says, or my house, the temple, lies in ruins? They were building their homes and neglecting God's. And that's essentially the problem that Haggai the prophet is needing to address here. And there's always going to be an excuse. Listen, we're always going to find some reason why we can't. Here's what they're saying. The time has not yet come. And I'm sure that they had good reason to believe that excuse. I'm sure that they were looking at the Sumerians and the threat from 15 years earlier. And they knew that, hey, if we start prioritizing God's kingdom and building this temple, they're going to come in and wipe us out like the last three kingdoms have already done. Maybe they're thinking, I've got, I've got my life, I've got my house, I've got my farm, I've got my kids, I've got my things that I need to do, and it's just not yet time. And so tomorrow becomes the enemy of today. It's not yet time. You know what they're saying? Tomorrow. Today's not yet the moment for this priority of God's kingdom, but maybe tomorrow. You know what I found in my life when I start putting things like God's kingdom and God's priorities off is that tomorrow never really comes. And maybe for you, your tomorrow has become the enemy of your today. And you've said things to God like, I'll surrender to you tomorrow. I'll start prioritizing you in my life tomorrow. I will give up this area of habitual sin in my life tomorrow. I'll pursue your kingdom priority tomorrow. And we put it off to tomorrow and we essentially say the same thing, that the time has not yet come To prioritize God's work. Ironically enough, they had the time for their own castle. They had the time for their own home. They had the time for their own priorities. But they did not have time for God's. And as they're building their castles, as they're building their homes, they're prioritizing their own comforts. Look at verse 4. He says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? While this house, the temple, lies in ruins. That phrase, paneled houses, really has two ideas or two meanings to it. First, it can speak of finishing the house, like getting the ceiling on, putting the roof on. That, that sounds somewhat reasonable. But it also has the idea of adorning. Kind of those luxuries, the overabundance, the lavishness of these homes. And that temple that once was so beautifully built by Solomon is lying as a heap of rubble right in the town square, right in the middle of that city. So they're adorning and they're enjoying their luxuries and they're not prioritizing God's work. I wonder where in your life has personal comfort got in the way of God's kingdom? I need this in my life. These luxuries, these these excessive add-ons to my life, I need this in order to, to enjoy life to its fullest and yet those luxuries may be keeping you from prioritizing first what God prioritizes most. I believe that it's time for us to set aside 
our castles. To set aside what we might prioritize in our life for our own gain and for our own comfort to prioritize God's kingdom. Growing up, I, I was raised on the East Coast and we would, we would go just about every summer to the Jersey Shore. And so we'd pack up the station wagon. We had one of those station wagons. All the kids would load in the station wagon. We'd, we'd drive about an hour away to the Jersey Shore. And we'd do what every kid does at the Jersey Shore. We'd enjoy the beach. We'd bring our boogie boards. But at some point, we would build a sandcastle because it's just what you do. So we'd get our buckets out. We'd get our wet sand. And we'd pack in the wet sand. And we'd plop that bucket over and bang on the top of it and pull the bucket up. And we'd build our sandcastle. Well, every once in a while, we would come across somebody else's sandcastle. And let me just tell you, they were a lot better at it than we were. And this was like before YouTube would show you how to do all these things. So these people just had like, they had like engineering skills and this ingenuity that went into their sand, their sandcastle that was a whole lot different than ours. These things were like four and five feet wide and like three and four stories high. It's got like a flag and a mast at the top of it and a wooden drawbridge and seashells for windows. I mean, we're all standing back and like gawking at this thing because that sandcastle is nothing like the one that we just built. But do you know what's true about our sandcastle as a kid and, and that engineer's sandcastle? Is that both of us abandoned that sandcastle at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, when we all go home, the tide's going to do what the tide always does. And it washes that sandcastle away so that that temporary sandcastle, you wouldn't even realize that it was there. And I wonder how many of us are spending our lives building these sandcastles and we're so proud of them. And well, we got the seashells and we got the, we got the wooden structures and we got the moat going around the outside of it. But at the end of the day, it's just a sandcastle. It's just the best that I can do. And God is calling us to prioritize His kingdom work. Now the goal of this call from Haggai is not that they would just completely neglect their house. But it is a call that if God's kingdom is going to be first, my kingdom is going to have to be second. And I wonder, are we willing to prioritize God's kingdom above our own? To set aside the castles that we're building, to allow God to do in and through us what He desires to do for His fame and for His glory. I prioritize God's kingdom first when I stop building my castle. Number two, we see here in the text, I prioritize God's kingdom first when I begin evaluating the consequences. The prophet is going to call them to look at their circumstances that they're in and what has been caused by the priority of their own kingdom over God's. Look at verse 5. He says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's like they're just spinning their wheels. They can't seem to get traction in their life. They're going out and they're working their jobs and they're trying to, they're trying to plant the seed, but they never seem to get enough crop. And they're, they're stuffing their faces, but they never seem to be filled. And they're layering up their clothing, but they're always cold. And they're, they're trying to fill up their bag of money, but it just seems to have holes in it. Can anybody relate to that? It's like every time you go to the gas pump, it's like, where'd my money go? You get to the end of a paycheck and you're like, I don't even know where it went. We just seem to be spinning our wheels. 
But this is not happenstance. This is not coincidence. There's a specific reason that this is the condition and that these are the consequences that they're experiencing. Jump down to verse 9 because God is going to tell them exactly why this is the way their life is. By the way, it's not the way God intended it to be, but it's the way that it is. Verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, listen to these next words. This is God speaking. God says, I blew it away. God says, I am causing this misfortune in your life. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills. On the grain, the new wine, the oil. On what the ground brings forth on man and beast. And on all their labors. Now we have to... We have to understand, this is extremely important, we have to understand the covenant context in which we are reading right now. We are sitting in the context of a covenant that is different from our current covenant. This is the covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai that I referenced at the beginning. That God, through his prophets, and once again now through Haggai, is calling them back to. And if you were to cross-reference and read in Deuteronomy 28, God lays out to Moses very specifically in Deuteronomy 28, 14 verses that promise blessing for obedience to the covenant, and 54 verses that promise judgment and discipline for disobedience to that covenant. So this is not God being mean. This is God being just. This is not God breaking a promise. It's actually God keeping one that he made with them. This is not God blindsiding the nation of Israel and, oh, I didn't even know God was going to do this and where did all of this come from? God is, God is calling to their memory what he told them he was going to do if they did what they're doing. They've caused this consequence by wandering away from the covenant relationship that God gave to Moses. Now, if we're not careful... This is why it's important to understand the context of this covenant. If we're not careful, we can read this and think, oh no, this is what God's going to start doing to me if I don't do what he tells me to do. You have to understand that we are now in the new covenant, and in the new covenant, our obedience is through Christ. We have been completely and eternally obedient to God through the finished work of Jesus. Now God will still, as a father who loves us, he will still discipline us. Hebrews 12. Because he loves us too much to let us continue going our way. And he will call us back to the covenant relationship that we have with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I think it's still relevant for us today to heed the words of Haggai when he says to the people of Israel, Consider your ways. Look around at the life that you've created, the consequences that you are experiencing because of your neglecting of the covenant. Look around. Parents, you've probably experienced this with some of your kids, especially the younger ones. This has definitely happened to us more than once. You're on your way out of the house. You're trying to kind of wrangle the kids and get them into the car. And one of them comes to you and says, I can't find my shoes. You're like, go to your room. Your shoes are in your room. I put them in your room. Like, I've been to my room. I can't find my shoes. And so finally you go to their room and you open the door. And what do you find? You find a mess of clothing everywhere and beds not made and books on the floor and toys all over the place and you look at this child of yours and you're like well it's no wonder you can't find your shoes look at the mess you created and Haggai is essentially saying to them listen you have caused the conditions that you are experiencing 
You have wandered from the covenant. God said this would happen if you wandered from it. And this is actually a demonstration and an expression of his goodness and his grace, not letting you have the prosperity that you're trying to get because you're building your own house, but to actually call you back to his covenant and to prioritize his temple and his kingdom. You've caused this. So, children of God, beloved, this morning, take inventory. Look around at your life. What are you seeing as the evidence of what you're prioritizing? Do you see the blessing of God and the fruit of the Spirit and the overflow of God's grace and the peace of God and the joy in your life? That, that's evidence that you are prioritizing His kingdom. But if you are sensing and experiencing the loving and firm disciplinary hand of God, it may be because you have wandered from what He prioritizes and you're prioritizing your own castles and your own kingdoms over His. So come back and return. The God who is gracious enough to point out those areas where we've wandered is also gracious enough to welcome us back when we return. Consider your ways. I prioritize God's kingdom first when I begin evaluating the consequences. Number three, here's what we see in our text. I prioritize God's kingdom first when I start hearing God's call. We're going to jump into the middle of point two. There were two verses we jumped over. This is verses seven and eight. Thus says the Lord of hosts, here it is again, consider your ways. Then he says in verse eight, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. This is a direct call to action. Go up to the hills, bring the wood and build my house, build the temple, rebuild the temple that is in ruins. Prioritize what I prioritize, God is saying. Build the house. The temple of God was the overlap between God and man. It's where God would meet with man. It's where sins could be covered through the shedding of the blood of a sacrificial animal. It's where there was the mediation of a relationship between the people of Israel through the priests to God. So the temple was of first priority, of first importance. Build the house. But I love what else God says here in verse 8. He says, go up to the hills and bring the wood. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're going to have to work really hard to make this happen. It's going to require time. It's going to require energy. It's going to require resources. It's going to require effort. It's going to require you put some priority on my house. And I believe that God today is still calling us into his kingdom work. And think about that. Think about that just for a moment. That the God who created all that we see in six days all by himself without our help is now calling us to labor with him. God doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants us to be a reflection of his love and his glory to the world around us. And so he's calling us to go up to the hills and to bring the wood and to build the house. And then God promises to validate this work in the second half of verse 8. He says that I may take pleasure in it. That, that has this idea of accepting this sacrificial work. I will accept this. I will receive this. And then he says, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The glory of God. This would have been reminiscent. The people of Israel would have had in their minds the tabernacle with Moses in the wilderness. 
and the temple, the first temple of Solomon, when the glory of God filled that temple and filled that tabernacle with Moses so that the priests could not even get into it and could not even serve and could not even do the work of God. The very Shekinah glory. The word glory, we sing about it in our songs. The word glory means weight. I don't know if you've ever used a weighted blanket. There's like there's like medical reasons to do it. There's like benefits to it. You sleep better. There's something about that presence and that weight of that blanket that you just sleep better and sleep deeper. The glory of God is a lot like that weighted blanket. There's just this overwhelming additional sense of the heaviness and the presence of God. You've probably had those moments in your life or maybe it's been in a service here in this building and there's just been this overwhelming sense that God's here. I feel it. He's speaking, he's working, he's moving. That is the glory of God. That is the manifest presence of God. And it is God's stamp of approval for these people, the people of God, if they will go up to the hill, hills and prioritize his work and get the wood and come back and build the house, God says, I will be there. I will be with you. My presence will go with you. And God is still calling us today to prioritize his work. Just a moment ago, we had these teenagers up here on the platform and these past several weeks, I've just kind of been walking down memory lane as I've been thinking about these teenagers going to camp. Camp means a lot to me for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is because of what God did in my life as a teenager. If we were to go back in time to the end of the last century, 1999, I was 15 years old. I was just your average teenager trying to just kind of get through middle school and high school and just kind of do life and didn't really know what the future held for me. And a friend of mine said, hey, would you go to camp this year? I'd never been to a camp like that before. I thought, hey, let's go to camp. I mean, it's going to be a good time. Maybe there'll be some cute girls there. I mean, what better reason to go to camp, right? So I finished up my schooling early that year because my school went into, uh, my high school went into January or June. Um, and so I had to finish up early. I finished up early. I got on the church bus. We hauled off to Geigertown, Pennsylvania, High Point Camp. My first experience at a camp with this group of people. And boy, I didn't, I didn't know what God was going to do. I was just, I was the kind of teenager that I was kind of riding the coattails of my parents. I mean, I was a good kid. I wasn't a bad kid. I went to church a lot, but like my relationship with God was kind of a borrowed one. Like I was borrowing my parents' relationship. It wasn't really personal. Boy, God started to do something in my heart that week at teen camp. I'll never forget on Tuesday night, the preacher got up. We met in one of those open-air pavilions with a makeshift wooden stage up front. You could hear like the grasshoppers and stuff outside in the middle of the service. And we're singing songs and we're doing the rally stuff. But then we got to the preaching. And the preacher gets up and he preaches from John 9, 4, where Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night's coming when no man can work. And something in my heart started to burn. I started to sense God might be doing something here. God might be calling me to something more than just an average everyday life for myself. So we finished up the Tuesday night service. We got into the Wednesday uh, activities and competitions and the Wednesday night service and the Thursday day, uh, activities and competitions. And we got to that Thursday night service. And I was sitting about 10 rows back right off the aisle, right on the aisle in that pavilion. And the preacher got up and he, he, he went to this obscure passage in Lamentations where the prophet Jeremiah says, is it nothing to you all, you who, all ye who pass by? Then he goes into this message that, quite frankly, had nothing to do with the text. But God was speaking. And there was this four-point message, I'll never forget it. 
as he was preaching through that message from Lamentations, he said, God, God's looking for some teenagers who are going to pray, who are going to love, who are going to work. And I kid you not, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair on that aisle, and I knew what the fourth point was. It's as if the Spirit of God had already whispered it to me because he was already doing a work in my life. And sure enough, that preacher got to that fourth point, and he said, God needs teenagers who are going to pray, who are going to love, who are going to work, and who are going to surrender. In that moment, the Spirit of God whispered to me, possibly for the first time, and just said, John, that's you. You. I am calling you to surrender. And I went down to that old-fashioned altar, and I knelt on that cold, concrete, dusty floor. And I said, God, I have no idea what the rest of my life holds, but it's yours. It's yours. And now, 25 years later, God has done a work in and through my life that is only to his glory and only for his purpose. But here's what I believe, that God is still calling people today. You might be here thinking, man, I'm not, a, I'm not a teenager. I don't know that I have my whole life to give to God. Well, how about your Monday? How about your job? How about your kids? Instead of raising your kids for your purposes and your kingdoms and your castles, how about raising them for God's? How about your grandkids investing in them, not just so that they can get on the sports teams and get the scholarships and have a great career, but so that they can pursue God and love God. And it might be in the great career, and it might still be in the sports, and it might be with, with a great amount of financial gain, but it will ultimately be for God's glory and God's kingdom, not for their own glory and their own castles. God is calling us today. My question is, are we listening? Are we listening? He's saying to each one of us, go up to the hills, get the wood, and build my house. Are we ready to hear and to answer that call? We prioritize God's kingdom first when we start hearing his call to pursue his kingdom. Number four, and lastly this morning, I prioritize God's kingdom first when I move obeying God's voice. When I move. See, it's not enough to stop building my castle, and it's not enough to look around at the consequences and the circumstances of my life, and it's not enough to even just hear the call of God. We've got to respond. And that's exactly what the people did. Look at verse 12 to the end of the chapter here. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Listen, at some point, mission means movement. At some point, we've got to go. At some point, we've got to move. At some point, we've got to tell. We've got to speak. We've got to prioritize. We've got to share that gospel message. At some point, we've got to stop talking about it. We've got to start doing it. And the mission of God, listen, the mission of God is anytime we pursue His kingdom first. The mission of God is on the move when we prioritize sharing our faith at work. 
The mission of God is on the move when a group of people yesterday gathered on this campus to serve the homeless in our community. The mission of God is on the move when a church family financially supports so that some teenagers can go off to camp. The mission of God is on the move when a church in Omotepe, Nicaragua is launched two weeks ago for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. The mission of God is moving through his people. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to plan for it. It's not enough to wish and dream and think at some point we've got to move at some point we've got to respond so God is calling us today as God was calling the people of God to move and they did they responded and they responded in obedience to God I love that the prophet says that you have obeyed the voice of the Lord they weren't obeying Haggai he was just the instrument he was just the mouthpiece they were obeying God's voice as you as you start moving on mission here at city point church listen it's not an obedience to me it's not an obedience even to this church it's ultimately in obedience to our king to our general to the one who has commissioned us and called us to move on his mission they obeyed the voice of god but then it also says that they feared god that does not mean to cower that does not mean to want to run and hide. That means to understand with reverence and awe who God is and to put him and to place him in his rightful position in your life. It means God's in charge, not you. It means God's calling the shots, not me. To fear God, to trust him. And then God gives to them what I believe is the promise of all promises. Look at it in verse 13. So they respond in obedience to the voice of God. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Here it is. God says, I am with you. I am with you. That is the only promise that you and I need. It's the promise of all promises because it's a package deal. Because God's promise is also his power. It's also his provision. It's also his leading in your life. This isn't just God saying, hey, I'll ride shotgun if you let me. <laughs> That's not what's going on here. This is God saying, I am leading the way. I am going in front of you. So as you move on mission, as you respond in obedience to the call of God in your life, this is the only thing you really need to know. If nothing else is true but this, then you're going to be okay. God is with you. His presence is going before you. And he's making the way possible. And then God begins to do something among the people here to stir up Zerubbabel and to stir up Joshua and to stir up the remnant of the people. Because when the people of God rally behind the mission of God, there's no stopping what can happen for the kingdom of God. God was working to stir them up. So my question for us this morning is this. Are you ready to move? Are you ready to respond in obedience to set aside our castles and our kingdoms and our, our priorities and to respond to the call to go up to the hill and to bring the wood and to build the house and to move in obedience to God's voice. It's not enough to say, well, my church is moving on mission. It's not enough to say, well, my life group's doing it. It's not enough to say, well, those people are doing it when they gather on Saturday and serve the homeless. No, are you doing it? Are you moving? Are you moving in the way that God has called you to, to prioritize his kingdom in your life? I don't know what that might look like for you. It's going to look different for each one of us. But, but you know what that is because the spirit of God has been stirring in you. 
And the Spirit of God has been leading you towards those people in your life that maybe don't know Him as their Savior or towards those neighbors in your life that are going through a difficult time and He wants to use you to help them, to serve them in that, in that moment of need. God's put something on your heart. Are you ready to move? Are you ready to move? See, movement can only happen in one direction. I cannot move that way and at the same time move that way. It's one or the other. And so if I am moving towards my kingdom and my castles and my priorities, I am actually neglecting God's, moving away from His. But something interesting happens when we move towards God's kingdom. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 13, seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and all these things. What things? Well, the things that I'm worried about for my kingdom. The things that I'm worried about, my food and my clothing and my house and my shelter and my stuff. God says, you seek first my kingdom and I'll take care of all of your kingdom." So here's what happens. When I prioritize and move towards my kingdom alone, I neglect God's. But when I move towards God's kingdom, he takes care of mine. Most of us don't like alarm clocks. They're, they're kind of a, a necessary evil. We need them. The alarm clock goes off at whatever time you get up. If you're the morning riser, it's early. If you're not, it's around 1030. Your alarm clock goes off. And you, you appreciate it because you need to get up, but you don't love the sound of it. Haggai the prophet here is sounding the alarm. It's a little uncomfortable. It's a little in our face. We don't really like the sound of it, but we know we need it. Because we've been prioritizing things in our life that God says that should be second, third, fourth, or fifth, not first. My kingdom should be first. My work and my mission in your life should be what gets the most and the first of our attention. So that big idea again is this. God's kingdom work must be my first priority. We stop building our castles. It's just sand. We begin evaluating the consequences and, and, and the results of what we're seeing in our life because of what we've been prioritizing. We start hearing God's call and then we move obeying God's voice. There really are no eternal consequences if you prioritize fashion over function in your clothing. There really is no eternal consequence if you prioritize morning over evenings to get things done in your life. But there are eternal consequences if we start prioritizing our own castles and our own kingdoms over God's. And so let's hear the, the alarm that Haggai has sounded here. Let's hear the voice of God through the prophet to put first in our life what God prioritizes most. We want to learn to live. So each week I ask a series of questions that I trust will help the Spirit of God make application on this text. Number one, my first question is this, which kingdom are you trusting? Which kingdom are you trusting? Are you trusting your own? Is all of your dependence and all of your reliance on your kingdom or are you trusting God's? Jesus told a series of stories and he preached a really a, a, a message in the beginning portion of the book of Matthew that was all about kingdom living. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that message, he tells about two people, one man who built his house on a rock and one man who built his house on sand. And Jesus said, those who listen to my word are like those who build their house on a rock and those who do not listen to my word are like those who build their house on the sand. So this first question is really, where are you building your house? 
Where are you building your life and your dependence and your eternity? Is it on your own work and your own effort, or is it on the finished work of Jesus and the words of Christ? Friend, if you're here and you feel like you've just been spinning your wheels and that you've been building a castle of sand, would you abandon that and set that aside and trust Jesus alone today? It is only through Christ that we can have an eternal relationship with God. And if you've already done that, my second question is for you. Which kingdom have you been prioritizing? You're trusting God. You're trusting His kingdom. You're trusting the work of His Son on your behalf. But which one have you been prioritizing? Which one makes it to the top of your budget? Which one gets into your calendar first? Which one happens at the beginning of your day or in the best parts of your day? Which kingdom are you prioritizing? And then number three, where in your life is God calling you towards movement? We need to stop talking about what we're going to do and we need to start doing what we said we'd do. We need to start responding to the voice of God and the leading of God in our lives. There is a world outside these walls that needs the message of hope through Jesus Christ. And yes, God could do the work without us, but he has chosen to do the work through us. He is calling us to prioritize his kingdom, to go to the hills, to bring the wood, and to build his house. So God is going to send you from this room in just a few moments to your sphere of influence. He's going to scatter the church. He's going to scatter the light. Are we going to take that light and put it under a bushel? Are we going to take that light and let it be hidden? Or are we going to take that light and we're going to set it on a hill and let it shine so that others might see the hope of Christ in us and the love of Christ through us so that they might respond in belief and obedience and come into a covenant relationship with God through Christ. He wants you and me to move toward that. I trust whatever recalibration needs to take place today, that we will allow God to do that in our lives. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this prophet. Thank you for the alarm that was sounded to the people of God. Lord, I pray that we would not just hear today, but that we would respond that we would become a people of God, that we would become the kind of a church that is quick and immediate to move on mission. That when we hear of a need, we would move towards that need. That when we hear of those who are lost, that we would desire and pursue them to share that message of the gospel with them. That when we, when we, when we see opportunities or when the Spirit of God lays something on our hearts, that we would be obedient to the voice of God. Whatever you desire to do today, God, do it. If there's somebody in this room under the sound of my voice who has not yet put first the kingdom of God, and they have not yet trusted in the finished work of Jesus, I pray that today, I pray that even now, they would believe in Christ and be saved. If there is someone here today who has trusted Christ, but yet they have, they've drifted, they've prioritized their kingdom and their castles over yours, I pray that today that they would come back and that they would seek first the kingdom of God and trust you to add all of these things to them in your timing and according to your will. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review. Subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, 
go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.